Hi, everybody. Welcome to Mind the Shift. Every now and then, I intend to do solo shows on the podcast. I'm going to talk about subjects or experiences that have had a significant impact on my life and my thinking. This is the first one. The subject is time. In a way, time is what this is all about. If there is a shift happening, it implies that the world and humankind is going from one state to another. And in our way of seeing things, there is a before and an after. That is a past and a future. And the shift is happening in the present. This is how we normally perceive this world. It's strange to imagine that there is a different way of looking at it. For instance, fully grasping the notion that there is only the present moment and that the past and the future don't exist. Not really. In short, that time doesn't really exist as anything other than a practical construct. Many of you have probably heard philosophical discussions to that effect. I have too, many times, uh, no pun intended. But it wasn't until fairly recently that I truly made the effort to understand what timelessness truly entails. And it has boggled my mind and given me more than one wow moment. To think about it, to think about these things thoroughly can be a cool experience for anyone, but if you contemplate it one layer or two more profoundly, it doesn't end with being a cool experience because looking at time as just a construct can actually be a framework to a completely new and more harmonious way of experiencing life. We all know that time can be perceived subjectively. When we're bored, time goes slowly. When we're having fun, time goes fast. It is as if certain phases in the three-dimensional reality are packed with energy and change, while others are thinner and sort of stretched. When meditating, it's often astonishing how detached from clock time you get. But you don't need to meditate to have this kind of experience. Everybody dreams, and most have had these morning dreams between one wake-up moment and the next, which are so incredibly full, packed by dramatic events, that you have a hard time wrapping your head around the fact that on your clock, only 10 minutes have passed. A little bit more subtle is the way time seems to either cooperate, cooperate or work against you, depending on how much you trust yourself and the unfolding of events. Here's a trivial example. You need to catch a bus to be in time for a train. But first you have to get something in your apartment and then you have to shop a couple of items in a store. In my experience, if I strongly feel that there is a significant chance I will miss my train because there's so much to do and I 
nervously check the time every other minute. I run into little obstacles all the time. I drop things. There's a long line in the store. The bus is delayed. And it seems to me that time ticks away at a faster pace than it does if I do it the opposite way. I just let go of all the worry and really trust that what has to be, has to be. If I miss the train, there is probably something, some meaning to that. I just do the things I need to do and I let the universe work out all the things that I can't control anyway. If I don't worry, it seems to me that things almost always work out more smoothly and I don't miss any trains. So the time appears to go, as it were, slower. But again, this experience is less straightforward than the boring versus fun experience, which most of us have had. So does the past or the future exist? Well, either they don't or they both exist simultaneously. Eckhart Tolle has uh, popularized the importance of the now moment. He wrote this famous book, The Power of Now. The bizarrely trivial thing about it is that there is only the now moment and there cannot be any other moments. Because when what we call a future moment arrives, it's just another now moment. If we didn't sleep, it would be even more obvious that it is all a continuous now. When you think about it, this earthly existence is really very dreamlike, as Eckhart has said. How many times haven't you looked forward to some happy or fun or interesting event that you've been planning for? So much so that you forget to be present during the days after the event. You forget to live, really. And then the day arrives, the event happens, and sooner than you know, the event is in the past. If you live your life in the mental construct of past and future, every moment evaporates very quickly. It fascinates me every time I put events behind me that have meant a lot to me. There might be some material evidence that there was, say, a big gathering of people the day before, like bottles and glasses and things like that. But you can't really be sure that it really happened. It is probably true that a large part of human suffering can be derived from our propensity to not live where we are, but either live in some future, perceived future moment that isn't real, or linger on some past moment that isn't real either. Living like that is living in the psychological time. It's like a dream. Reality, on the other hand, is what is happening now. It's kind of weird that it wasn't long ago that I realized that everybody on earth 
is continuously at exactly the same now position. Me, the president of the United States, a poor farmer in Malawi, um, a terrorist planning an attack. Nobody has a clue what's going to happen in two minutes. It may seem obvious, but the fact of the matter is that we're so conditioned to think in past future that we, at least I, strangely enough, can sometimes think that some people or some countries or some conflicts or some whatever are a bit further ahead or further behind. But realizing that we're all stuck in the same now moment, at least to me, felt somehow comforting. Okay, but what about clocks? They measure time, don't they? Yes, there is clock time. And that is a very practical tool, which helps us, for instance, meet other people at certain points in space-time, since we're bounded by the inert physical world. One way of looking at time that makes good sense is to see it as the constant change of the state of things. Nothing is static. Everything changes all the time. Some large visible things seemingly so slow that we perceive them as non-changing. But even planets, stars, and galaxies change. And then some elementary teeny entities change so fast that we can't even measure their position. But is this what clocks are measuring? No. They measure some of the rhythms and pulses that is the choreography of the universe. Clocks measure the rhythm of the Earth revolving around its own axis and orbiting the Sun, or they measure a certain number of waves in the wave spectrum of some element. Everything that was ever created exists now if you have the perspective of the universe. Day and night exist simultaneously on Earth, of course, and the light from distant galaxies that we see on the night sky was sent out millions of years ago. So what we see is actually the distant past, as we call it. But we see it now. In the same way, conscious beings in distant galaxies, to the extent they contemplate us in this dimension, they see our distant past. I personally assume that everything that will ever be created also exists now, and that this is what clairvoyance can tap into and come into contact with, but that is another episode, I guess. So the ryth rhythms and pulses of the universe are really the same thing as vibrations, which is basically energy. Everything is energy. The Earth's rhythm, day, night, day, night, and winter, summer, winter, summer, is an energy frequency, which is a part of all the energy frequencies that dance in the big symphony that plays in this one and only moment that exists. Our breathing, our heartbeats, 
are also frequencies, pulses, as are our very lives. We are born, we live, we die. Born, live, and die again. Whether you think we, have, uh, we are born in new lives or not, new human beings are born, live, and die. And the largest pulse of them all is the physical universe as we know it. It was also born in the Big Bang. And chances are, as I see it, that this one huge beat will come to an end and start again in some way. Although I know that astronomers have discovered that the, the expansion of the universe is actually accelerating. So I'm probably wrong. Okay, back to the future and to the past. I just learned that physicists who ponder these things talk about three basic theories. Presentism, eternalism, and growing blockism. Proponents of presentism mean that only the present exists. Eternalists think that past, present, and future all exist, while the growing block theory falls somewhere in between. The past and the present exist, but not the future. <laughs> I find, find these kinds of theories both somewhat ridiculous and very profound at the same time, which is kind of funny. If I had to choose, I would adhere to eternalism. If there is no future, how could we ever get there? Hmm. There are many metaphors about time. The one that's made the greatest impact on me is one I first heard from the fantastic British philosopher Alan Watts. If you start listening to his lectures on YouTube, you can get addicted, I can assure you. It completely rocks one's view on life. It upends the whole collective way of treating the past, the present, and the future. And it has the potential of liberating you from the enslaving chains of history. But it takes some resetting to get into this mindset. It goes like this. The present is a ship heading forward, and we're all on board. The ship creates a wake, and we all know that a wake is the trace of a moving ship. And so, in this metaphor, the wake is the past. This means that the present creates the past, not the other way around, which we've been conditioned to believe. The past is the wake of the now moment. Think about the significance of that. What it entails is mind-blowing. We did what we did because we were supposed to end up where we are now. Now, if you think, of it, think about it, we often actually don't understand why something happened until after a long while, sometimes decades or even centuries. 
Alan Watts said these things 40 years ago because I and millions of others were going to hear this today, probably at a point in space-time which is more ripe for people to incorporate such a radical shift in worldview. With this way of looking at, at these things, one fully understands the meaning of somebody being ahead of their time. Now, I took this ship metaphor a bit further. A consequence of the past being the wake of the present must of course be that the present is the wake of the future. This means that what is to happen already exists, which is in line with the theories of the quantum soup that everything exists in. Thus, what we do now is the result of the so-called future that we already have in some sense. I marveled when I tried to grasp this. I continued thinking about it and realized that it is fairly easy to consider what it often looks like on a passenger ship, where some people prefer to stand in the stern and contemplate the wake, while others prefer to stand in the bow and try to discern what is slowly becoming visible far, far away on the horizon perhaps the contours of other ships or of land. It is obvious that both the wake and the slowly materializing objects on the horizon are something that you can be aware of when you are on a ship. But it's just as obvious that you can't go to any of those places now. You're stuck on the ship. There is only the now, as it were. It is as if the constant changes in the universe are constantly approaching us, rather than it is we who are moving anywhere. Which leads us to a different metaphor. We stand in a river. Everything that happens in your life, everything you experience, is the water that flows around you. The water has been in the so-called future and flows towards the so-called past, which is in line with the ship metaphor. Sometimes you may want to move a little bit further towards the middle of the river where the current is strong and experience events faster or more of them. Sometimes you may want to move a little bit closer to the riverbank and perhaps, perhaps end up in a pool where the water hardly moves at all or even reaches you from behind. Some people prefer the calm pool water, some like the strong current. But for everyone, it is true that the water from the so-called future sooner or later passes the point in the river where you are standing. That is the point in space-time where you are in your physical life on Earth. It just takes a little longer by the riverbank. Having reached this far into these mind-widening insights about the true nature of time, you start to realize that it actually must be like this 
what affects what we do now is what is going to happen rather than what has happened. Why? Because how would we otherwise be able to undergo any kind of evolution? How would we be able to develop at all? If the past is what forms us, we'd be stuck in the same spot. Now think about this as far back as we possibly can. We wouldn't have been able to leave the Big Bang if it were like the past is creating the present because that's when space-time was born. Before that, nothing could have formed anything ahead of it, as it were. This is why the following phrase is correct and not the reverse phrase, which is the one we learn. We can't understand our past if we don't understand our present. I am reading these sentences now in this episode because I have an inkling that doing so will, for some reason, somehow be of importance to me or even to others sometime in the future. But that is precisely what it is, an inkling. Being stuck in the physical space-time, we can't as human beings fathom the vastness of every possibility that exists down the line. We often have an urge to do something without knowing exactly why. We just feel it's the right thing to do. Many try to find explanations in upbringing, parents, or environment, or whatever. I think it's the future that is pulling us forward into what we are supposed to become. <laughs>